film neighbors, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect films with fellow film enthusiasts and figure out why we love the medium so much. Today, I have Rihanna Henson and Frank Olmsted on the show to talk about the Studio Ghibli classic, My Neighbor Totoro. But before we get to our conversation, of course, I want to let you guys know, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, subscribe, leave a rating on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. You can also follow the show on social media, Frankly I Love Movies, on Instagram and Facebook, and at Frankly underscore podcast on Twitter. And of course, you can follow me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. Speaking of which, next week on Thursday the 17th, I will have the next diary entry up covering all of the films that I watched from November 1st through the 15th. A lot of fun entries in there. Be sure to be on the lookout for that. I'm very excited for this show because we are welcoming back not only a former guest, but a former co-host of the show. Rihanna Henson is back. We can't get rid of you. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm still around. Yes. Thank you for coming back. And you have a special guest with you. Please tell us who you have with us. We have my boyfriend, um, Frank Olmstead. <laughs> Francis Olmstead. Not sure what you want to go by on the pod. Mm-hmm. Um also fellow movie enjoyer we watch a lot of those yes ah, I, I, I go by the movie enjoyer around and here. fan of the show <laughs> he was a very faithful listener to off the shelf which if uh, anyone thanks, hasn't listened buddy. to should go listen to yeah big fan <laughs> oh greatly appreciate it yeah if you want to check out all the episodes that rihanna and i did on film adaptations and novels in our off the shelf series that is on your podcasting platform of choice but we are here um, to talk about My Neighbor Totoro, a classic Miyazaki film from Studio Ghibli. And uh, Frank, I wanted you to pick the episode because you, uh, you know, this is your first time. And uh, I haven't, I, like, we talk about movies when we hang out, but I also wanted to kind of get a deeper sense of where your love of the art form comes from. So before we talk a little bit about Totoro, can you give me just an insight on your, uh, like, love of movies? Did you grow up with movies? Do you enjoy watching them? Like, do you have, like, what is your relationship just general to the art form? Well, with My Neighbor Totoro, um, I, I've been watching this movie literally since I think I was about two years old. Since, you know, I was exposed to it so young, it it kind of set me up for the kinds of art just in general that I enjoy. Um, and I, th- I think I really kind of um, found a greater appreciation for movies and, and film when I, as I got older. Um, yeah. I, I definitely watched movies when I was younger, more so as just not not through a very critical lens. Um, and that's something that I developed later on. As long as I've been, you know, with Rihanna, um, I, she's exposed me to a lot more, uh, a lot more stuff. Um, a, lot, a lot more movies than I would have ever um, come across. So, a lot of weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Okay. Personal question: How long into you guys dating did she show you Synecdoche, New York? Oh, that's, Ooh, a that's a, that is a good question. <laughs> it, were we dating for a year already? That might. I think so. I think. I think so. At least. Um, I feel like maybe close to two years almost probably that that movie has been a source of frustration for <laughs> the both of us because i had a very different reaction to that movie than I, she does. Well, I cried the entire time and at one point he looks over and he goes are you crying and i'm like yeah <laughs> and i felt stupid because i had no idea why she was crying <laughs> sorry i didn't realize you were a little bitch like, oh, all right. <laughs> yeah. it's so funny um, but uh, i think what about I, funny I, games what about funny games that's the other core yet 
Yeah, that's actually, I was going to bring that up because I'm pretty sure she showed me that movie before we were even dating. Yeah, ah, and, and okay. you still were like, I'm going to go forward with this. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. Same with Happiness, I think, uh, which is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> and we'd been dating for, I think, like three weeks. Maybe. I'm going to show you one of my favorite movies. That's, yeah. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yeah. That, that to me is so emblematic as to who Rihanna is as a person, though, where it's just like, I have a sense of I like this person. I need to send them through the ringer like as early as possible mm-hmm. just yeah. to make sure. That's a beautiful thing. I love yeah, that. we might as well get it out of the way. Yeah. yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's good to find somebody who knows what they want and is making sure that that person, uh, you know, it fits the mold. It's 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 beautiful. It's really lovely. <laughs> Um, uh, so, uh, Studio Ghibli, we've talked about, uh, the, uh, the, the fame studio on the show before we did an episode of Princess Mononoke, uh, last year. And, uh, I'm always very excited to watch a, a new entry, uh, you know, into their films because it wasn't like Ghibli for me was not something that I like really grew up with. Um, I discovered them like way later, like when I saw I saw Spirited Away in high school and that was the first one. And then, you know, down the rabbit hole you go after that. But it's so fun to then start to peel back the layers of what makes the studio so great. And, you know, once you start to go further back into their catalogs, this movie's from like 1988, kind of one of their earlier films after Castle in the Sky and um, uh, uh, Nausicaa. And, you know, it's really cool to see, you know, to put the piece together as to why people love it and also understand, like, you know, what makes each film a classic and why certain people flock to other films. Rihanna, do you have a specific relationship to Ghibli or Miyazaki in general? Or is he or are those films they come into your um, you know, periphery and you're like, oh, I enjoy this? Or do you actively like have you actively like sought out their films? I remember watching my neighbor Totoro for the first time when I was probably like nine. I think we rented it from when video King was still a thing. Oh, um, I know Lord I is. miss it. Um, <laughs> and then spirited away. I think I might've been around the same age and I don't think I've seen spirited away since um, princess Mononoke. I watched when I was a little bit older. I don't know. I, I never really had any kind of um, connection to, ghibli films in terms of like the studio i've I've, yeah i've never been very good about looking at all the films from miyazaki as a whole and Mm. kind of Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah i I almost looked at them more as like single anime movies Mm -hmm. which probably is not the best way to view the catalog of ghibli films (laughs) because i think all of them have commonalities and things in common with each other that make them ghibli films and that make the studio just so iconic and and Mm -hmm. a studio that shouldn't be boiled down to just anime movies because they feel beyond that and i think frank could speak to that probably better than i could yeah frank i wanted to ask because you um you know are a, a student of you know japanese arts and culture in college i was wondering you know i think it can be easy to make the leap to say that these films are anime just because of the tradition like the the style like just by looking at it at a glance you think like oh okay that's japanese animation that's anime but like you know i i am not an anime purist myself but um you know i do see that there are very different like feels to the ghibli films i mean 
I definitely think that the, the fact that they're owned by Disney is a <laughs> is a part of that conversation for sure. But like, obviously, the films came out after that. But but still, um, what do you see? Like, how do these films, uh, you know, the catalog or even, you know, Totoro, if you want to speak on it um, specifically, um, how do they stand out among other uh, Japanese films to you or the art form uh, of Japanese animation to you? Is there a specific thing that grabs your attention among other films like um, like Akira or um, like Grave of the Fireflies or something like that? Is there anything that really sticks out to you? Um, well, with Ghibli and I think with Miyazaki's movies specifically, there's a lot of things that make them uniquely Miyazaki. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, first, first of all, he's, you know, gone on record for saying that he thinks that modern anime is like a joke and <laughs> just like awful. <laughs> and he like, there's a documentary. Um, I, I think it's, it's the documentary is, um, documenting him making the wind rises, which is at the moment, his most recent film. Uh-huh. Um, Good and movie. I actually, it's the only Miyazaki movie I haven't seen. I just, mm, have, I still good. have not gone around to it. Um, yeah, I've heard it's great, but <laughs> there's like, you know, meme screen caps from that documentary of him being like, anime is a mistake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I under, you know, I understand where he's coming from because he, all of his movies are clearly have such strong messages, messages about, mm. of like nature, children, and like, like how, precious children are and Mm -hmm. um strong women um he has such um a reverence for um animation and that medium of storytelling yeah i think there's still plenty of that you know today but the current attitudes of and opinions of anime in at least in the west do not kind of hold that amount of respect and reverence for the medium that I think is very mm-hmm. unique to to Ghibli and Miyazaki specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you you make it you make a good point about the, like the through line of some of their themes. You know, nature is a big part of like so many of their films, um, and definitely the childlike perspective from a lot of these um, you know characters. You know, Totoro is told through the perspective of two sisters or um, Kiki's delivery services, this kind of coming of age story. Um, Same with spirited away, but a lot younger. The one that kind of stands out to me is Mononoke because Mononoke is so like such a step up in terms of maturity because Mm -hmm. it's a war film, but that still has the through line of nature versus humans and that, you know, super existential, you know, uh, humanistic conflict that Miyazaki loves to, um, go through but what i really love and especially watching this it kind of made it more clear for me is that like all of his movies you know while they have certain through lines they he does deal in different genres very well you know mononoke is so good at action and that movie is like very brutal this movie is kind of a good childlike hangout movie in a way mm-hmm. um you know kiki is a coming of age story wind rises is an autobiographical like almost sentimental drama in a strange way you know he it, he doesn't just deal in it's not just cartoons i mean that and that's a larger conversation about like the opinions of certain people towards animated movies as a whole as to whether or not they're serious films 
Um, I don't think we're going to make a whole lot of ground, like cover a lot of ground in this conversation on that. But it's important to note that like, the you know, his movies in and of themselves are not just, oh, this is a cool bear creature thing. Yeah. Let's yeah. put it on a T-shirt and sell it at Hot Topic. You know, that's not the, <laughs> that is the very surface level of, you know, um, and he like loves to incorporate like incorporating the music and the visuals and the characters and just the whole design of his movies you know really do invoke the emotion that he's going for i find his films to be the at their most successful when he is emotion forward you know and something like howls has this great howls movie castle has this great search quality to it that i love and it feels like it's a very lived in community this is a little different where it feels like okay this is um, uncharted territory for all of these characters and so you're experiencing that with them mm-hmm. and you know it's 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 interesting that you say that also ran of not looking at their films from their from a catalog of like seeing them all as one thing but you can also watch them on their own because they're such well-told stories and mm-hmm. you can they have this um you know fairy tale fantasy storybook like quality to them that a lot of people, you know, are chasing since when they were kids. And, you know, he's he's a great sentimental artist. And I, th- mm-hmm. I find that to be, you know, beautiful the more I watch his films. Um, Frank, was this the first Ghibli film that you saw? If you saw it that young, you must have uh, <laughs> must have been, right? Yeah, this is definitely the first Ghibli movie I've ever seen. And it is probably one of the first movies I've ever seen, period. <laughs> <laughs> i love it that's so beautiful it's so sweet it clearly like stuck with you do you remember like i don't know you probably don't remember the first viewing but do you remember what really struck you about it as a kid one thing that i still remember very vividly um i spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house when i was Mm -hmm. little um you know my parents were at work so um my grandma would watch me during the day um my mom would drop me off at her house in the morning and that's where she, she, I think, just bought the movie like on a whim. Like, this looks like a nice children's movie. I'll put it on for him, you know, when mm-hmm. he's here. Um, and I just remember trying, consciously trying to replicate the scene of when Satsuki's at school and May is running around the yard while, her, while their dad is working. <laughs> I like just like constant, like consciously hopping from stone to stone in my grandma's backyard and like trying to like ruffle around in like bushes and stuff. So yeah, that's what sticks with me the most. I mean, that's like kind of it just because I was, I was literally two years old. So that's like all I can really remember. But um, yeah, I, this movie has definitely um, grown with me as I've gotten mm-hmm. older. That's incredibly cute. so rihanna when did you first see it and do you remember your first viewing oh my god yeah i think i had to have been like nine maybe a little younger maybe eight i I don't i don't think i remember my first viewing i i think in terms of ghibli films princess mononoke that first viewing kind of sticks with me more but we are not Mm. talking about that (laughs) film um (laughs) Well, see, I, I was very into anime as a kid, too. Like, that same age, I was also watching, like, Naruto and, and Dragon Ball Z on television. Mm-hmm. And, and You were a cool girl. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think even at that age, I kind of saw it as, like, oh, an anime movie. I, I don't mm-hmm. think it it sat with me as just a, a movie. 
um if that makes sense yeah um unlike what frank is describing where you know plot characters atmosphere um really stuck with him better i think i was looking at it through um the lens of i like anime so i'm going to watch anime movies as well (laughs) yeah Um, which is not how movies should be consumed typically but yeah (laughs) yeah watching it as an adult i think the things like plot character the sentimentality like you talked about josh those come through a lot more um viewing Mm -hmm. as an adult than as a shallow nine-year-old just watching anime (laughs) (laughs) there's no fucking punching in this what the hell there's no kamehamehas or anything calling a nine-year-old calling a nine-year-old shallow is very funny to me (laughs) (laughs) I, i just wanted to watch anime and this was an anime movie that I saw you're in video. You're okay. in fourth grade, you empty piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking funny. Um, <laughs> um, so today was my first viewing. Surprise, surprise. I'd never seen this movie before. Um, I, I, I totally relate to what you were saying about anime movies, though. Um, just of the idea of like when I was a kid or just the anime art form of like the animation is so singular and so different than because I've always loved animated movies. And when I, I like, I remember seeing like a commercial for like when avatar, the last airbender was on TV and I saw that animation. I was like, I don't really like that. Like just kind of instantly, like the, <laughs> the image of it was off putting, um, which is a, the biggest reason as to why I still to this day have not watched avatar the last airbender, <laughs> but I will at some point, I will at some point. Um, but then I would like, you know, as a as a kid, I'm just like, OK, I, I know I don't like the look of that, so I'm not going to dive deeper into it. Mm-hmm. And then once I started getting into, you know, once once I saw Spirited Away, I was like, OK, this is something completely different than what I ever imagined it to be. And I mean, you know, that that movie is undeniably one of the greatest movies ever because of like really that reason. It is like a perfect gateway drug into that world. And I mean, it's just a masterfully told story. And I think perfects a lot of the things that Miyazaki is doing in My Neighbor Totoro. But what's cool about Totoro is that, like, you know, it became, you know, Totoro, the character, became the poster child for Ghibli. And most people, I think a lot of people associate it with it being their favorite. Um, And so I was interested going into it. Like, I've also heard some people say it's overrated because it's the most, it's probably the most loved of the films. And so um, I was like, all right, well, go in open mind let's see what's up and i loved it i was just mm-hmm. like i i it, my heart was so full watching this movie because it's it's 86 minutes mm-hmm. the there's really no plot to it it's all about the imagery it's all about the characters it's all about the scenery the movement and i loved that i was i was just sitting there i was like i don't like this is a total like feeling of disconnect from everything just getting lost in this world of these two girls and their dad and i loved like the idea of like frank when you watching it like at your grandma's house and how like that like your grandparents house almost always has this kind of otherworldly quality to it because it's like (laughs) home far away so it already like kind of matches with the film and so when i was just watching i was just like wow like Literally, like as I was watching, I was like, I should. Why didn't I watch this when I was younger? Because this is an episode of Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> like, that's what this movie is. That's just all this movie is. And I would have loved it so much when I was like, you know, six. I, I think it would have mm-hmm. 
made such an impact because because there's so much you know um connection between those two and it's so beautiful like it's such a wholesome feeling to it uh and i was just watching i was like all right i i get it you know i i understand why people love, like isn't that a satisfying feeling when you watch something and you're like yeah there's no no dispute as to why people love this yeah. you know <laughs> like that's just such a fun feeling and to finally cross this off the list i was like oh, it feels it feels um it feels gratifying in that sense <laughs> So thanks for making me watch it. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I I could wish for nothing more than than that reaction. <laughs> <laughs> is is this one for you that you like show to people or you really recommend to people? Because I mean, it is one that you that a lot of people, at least who are like familiar with most films, like at least have heard of. You know, it's pretty. It's I don't think it's uncommon to meet people who, when you're talking about films, to bring up Totoro and they'll be like, "Oh, I've never heard of that." Um, like, so do you like recommend it or want to introduce it to people or are you just like continuing the praise of it? Do you feel at most points? I don't feel like, um, that opportunity has come up very often for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually when the conversation of like, what's your favorite movie of all time comes up and I tell them my neighbor Totoro, mm -hmm. um, usually people have heard of it. Um, yeah just just because of the character and um how he is he has permeated america um american pop culture kind of at this point i mean there's yeah. even there's a you there's totoro is in toy story 3 in the preschool um, yeah that's right he is yeah. yes um <laughs> so people have usually heard of it um the only time i've ever shown it to anyone was i showed it to um uh, my two best friends who are also very big anime fans um, who had just mm -hmm. never seen it. They'd seen, you know, Spirited Away, Mononoke, and they really liked it. Um, but it, they definitely didn't connect with it on the same level um, as those other movies. And that's something that I kind of, I can understand because it does, it definitely does not have that same level of, um, grandiosity i guess as like mm -hmm. the other two as those other three movies um yeah those, those other three movies are very over the top but not you know in in the most perfect way possible right um mm -hmm. and totoro is very in a lot of ways very understated um mm -hmm. in a lot of ways i would still say it, it's not it still is very very much so larger than life um yeah but it, it had a lot of its nuance and um what makes it amazing is in it's subtlety. Mm -hmm. Would you say that it's a movie that really only reaches like anime fans? Because I feel like your circumstances of having watched it so young are pretty unique. I, I feel like when I was, you know, young and watching VHS tapes, it was a bear in the big blue house mm. and stuff like that. You know, I, What's the I, difference? I, <laughs> I, I didn't go out of my way to watch Totoro until I started watching anime and I was still a kid, mm -hmm. but I was thinking about that. Like, I think this movie would have resonated with me and stuck with me a lot better if I did watch it younger and pre anime mm -hmm. fan age. Uh, like I think you have pretty unique circumstances. And so you are in a lot of anime circles. Sorry for <laughs> outing, outing that. Um, do, you, do you think that it's a movie that really only reaches anime fans who are typically older? I don't know. Or do you um, think there's actual children watching it? 
That's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't really know what the current like standing of this movie is in how many children are watching this movie because you know Disney they don't currently anymore but they had the distribution rights of Ghibli movies for a long time so I mean that's huge yeah. and right is, yeah. is, is going to introduce it to children like no matter what but I but you know how many children are watching this movie um and anime fans are are absolutely watching it just because you know Totoro even the the Ghibli logo is everywhere so I don't know I feel like Totoro um is a movie that everyone who watches it generally likes it, but if you love it, it it's I feel like it's because it kind of speaks to you personally. It speaks to your personal interests and I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. It, 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 it speaks to you personally, I think. Yeah, I, I think what, what what really makes your circumstance um, especially special is the fact that like. Your grandmother just picked this movie up kind of like on a whim. It's just like, oh, this would be a fun kids movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think most people who are introduced to it, like at a young age, their parents or siblings or whoever their adult, you know, mentor figure is in their life, you know, has already gone through the catalog of either Ghibli films or anime is already a fan, mm-hmm. right? So knows to be like, all right, at this age, this is a good time to introduce them to Totoro. You know, yeah. which I but like it's almost a bit more I mean, not to, you know, denote anyone's experience with any movie like in that sense. But like, it's kind of fun, like that your grandmother was just like, oh, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. Here, Frank, sit down for 90 <laughs> minutes and I hope you like it. And then here we are, you know. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's beautiful, you know, and I, I think that, you know, sometimes our most memorable movie experiences are when we just kind of stumble into things mm. and that you know, starts the maybe obsession is the correct, incorrect term, you know, Mm -hmm. in this context. But like, you know, that that then starts the it gets the ball rolling down down the hill uh, in a way. Um, So that's really special. I wanted to go back to what you were talking about earlier, though, Rihanna, about how, um, you know, rewatching the film or any of these films, um, you know, later in life almost has a bit more of a lasting impact than when you're a child, because I do think that they are you know most of them again spirited away this kiki's delivery service are very child friendly and like when you there's a lot to latch onto when you're younger again the colors the scenery the character design you know there's there's always some fun kooky sidekick character or an older mentorish grandmother character you know there's a lot of through lines in the characters but as you get older you start to you know kind of dig a little bit more below the surface and i know you know mononoke is a a big uh, a big text for you um so i'm curious like when you go back to rewatch this film what do you take away from it more um than some other films of ghibli because it's so quaint and very um embedded in sentimentality and just being a, a smaller film like when you go back to it what do you get out of it i think um definitely on this rewatch what really stuck with me the most was how much I almost said Ghibli, <laughs> director Ghibli. Miyazaki <laughs> um, really seems to have a complete understanding of what it's like to be a kid, and not only an understanding, mm-hmm. but a very deep respect for it. Because, you know, watching this movie as a kid, I think you kind of don't know what it's like to be a kid when you're a kid. It's not until you're an adult and you <laughs> yeah. have adult experiences and you can look back on childhood yeah. and see really what it was like to try to understand the world around you and how to be a person 
And so I think watching it as an adult, it resonates with me a lot better because I think it really has a very accurate depiction and understanding of what it's like to be a child. I, I really like that the main mm-hmm. girls act like children yeah. because I think in a lot of children's movies or movies either aim towards children or the children are the main characters and there are movies like that that aren't necessarily for kid audiences um typically i think a lot of films fall into a trap of having to kind of age up their children characters a little bit and make Mm -hmm. them act the way that kids don't typically act to keep a plot going and that's Mm -hmm. why kind of the lack of plot (laughs) for this film (laughs) works i mean there there's some plot you know new house new neighbors mom is sick but it really just seems to be at least to me about the experience of what it's like to be a child and how the world is just so different to you when you're a child and and we have that great little adult um point of view from the dad because Mm -hmm. he's very in tune with his daughters obviously and talks to them about the forest spirits and totoro or whatever he entertains all of it but he can't see it like the girls can um And yeah, I think I was just very impressed by how much Miyazaki really seems to understand childhood Um, Mm -hmm. because we were talking about this off mic, Frank and I, but um, a couple weeks ago we watched the Fred Rogers documentary and I I saw a lot of similarities, uh, similarities between the way that Fred Rogers would approach entertainment for children and the way that Mm -hmm. this movie does a lot of quiet and never really feeling the need to dumb anything down. Yeah. I I think it, it kind of perfectly meets children at their level without being condescending or overly stupid or loud or simplifying because it's not very bright. Like the house is kind of creepy (laughs) and and Totoro, even he's kind of a little creepy looking and you could argue. So is the cat bus it, it's not Cat a very <laughs> it's not a very bright and loud movie um yeah. and it, it's just like you said quaint is a really good word to sum it up just very mm-hmm. quaint and quiet um and the girls they cry they whine they get really excited yeah they're, and and the older one i can't remember names right now the older Satsuki? one um satsuki. satsuki she's a smart kid um, yeah. And, you know, acts the part of a big sister, but there, there's none of that terrible, typically Hollywood, I feel, aging up of uh, your, yeah. your child character in order to try to reach all audiences. Uh, that's another thing, too. It really and, you know, Frank might know a little more about behind the scenes stuff, but it seems to me like Miyazaki wasn't particularly concerned with making sure adults would enjoy it as well. It really seems yeah. like it's made for children, which I appreciate um, uh, yeah. because I think kids mm-hmm. and, and again, Fred Rogers, it, kids very often get overlooked in terms of entertainment. It's what's going to sell the most merchandise or what will parents stand to watch too. Um, yeah. I, I think children's entertainment gets kind of taken advantage of for, you know, how easy it is to sell toys to children and that kind of thing. So yeah, watching uh, My Neighbor Totoro, it, it, it just, as an adult, it seems like it really has a very deep respect for childhood and mm-hmm. the whimsy of nature and running around in a big house and 
yeah, I, I really love just the, the respect for childhood and the respect for children's feelings that mm-hmm. it seems to have. And, and, and when I say that, I mean the depiction of things like the girls cry and whine and act a little annoying sometimes. Like, yeah, none of that is taken away just to make a more palatable experience for any adult viewers. Like it really reckons back to childhood for me. And yeah. Again, as a kid, when you watch it, you you don't realize what it's like when you're in it, it being childhood. But as an adult, I can see myself in the main two girls. And mm-hmm. that's like a really special thing, I think, that can be really hard to achieve in a film. Yeah. And, no, I totally Miyazaki agree. It perfectly. It, yeah. And it's it's cool that like, yeah, he doesn't like talk down to the characters. You know, he gets down to their level and really sees them at their most animalistic and i don't mean that in like a um in a in a i don't mean that in a savage way i mean that in the fact like when may's like that scene you're talking about frank when she's like running around the yard she almost has this like cat-like quality to her where Mm -hmm. she's like not afraid of anything and she's curious about everything Mm -hmm. so she sees you know the little totoro running around the little ghost guy and she like runs under the porch and is like looking through the hole. And there's that really funny like shot where she's looking and waiting for him. And then they just walk like quietly in the background. <laughs> yeah. Like great, really funny um, moment there. But yeah, it's not like at no point are you, are you like these kids are stupid. These kids are annoying. I mean, they're 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 a little like objectively annoying, but they're not like <laughs> annoying to the part where to the point where you're like, I don't want to be with these characters anymore. They're right. just like yeah. annoying. Like, why are you why are you bugging the dad? Don't put flowers on his desk. You know, I'm never <laughs> like that. You know, that's yeah. a thought that never enters my head when watching this movie. Um, and yeah, I, I love that uh, there are those moments because you know, for for every moment where they're like yelling come out come out wherever you are and you're like all right that's hurts my ears to listen to (laughs) there's like three other moments where it's so endearing of a true like sister sister sibling relationship that i you know i I mean be not being a sister you know i can't speak (laughs) like still but that sibling dynamic and you know that age range and also just being so enamored by the wonder that is in the house and you know the the soot goblins or whatever the soot whatever they're called or whatever they call them uh you know it's it's so fun and so cute and like when they get scared it's when like real life starts to kind of overlap with the fantasy and it's it's really done so seamlessly and it's not heavy-handed you know mm-hmm. um you know you can make an argument like for like the pacing in terms of like how the plot gets like really serious towards like the last like 20 minutes or so um it doesn't bother me but like i think that you need to have a moment, you know, when real life does start to, you know, pull back the veil of childhood and innocence and introduce you into something that you weren't really expecting and that you have to push through. And so, you know, it, it does that all so well of also just giving these characters so much area to cover and land and ground and scenery to take in. And you as the viewer are like, yes, give me more. Like, come on. Like it, it that's what that's why it reminded me so much of Winnie the Pooh, where it was just like, this is just a hundred acre wood. They're going through, you know, meeting different characters, and they're just like again, the animalistic like in quality and curiosity and just wanting, you know, to play and explore and be out is like a feeling of just so 
it's like it's euphoric in that feeling because it feels so true to us as human beings that we want to do that and need that in our lives and you know again disconnect like i was taking notes on my phone because i knew i like i had certain things i wanted to bring up but i like almost was mad at myself for doing it because i didn't want anything to do with technology i just wanted to watch this movie and you know when a movie it's kind of you know it's sad but it's a it's a true mark of success in this day and age when a movie can do that because it almost becomes like the opposite at points where it's like you check your phone you're like all right fucking let's go come on <laughs> yeah. credit, let's move it you know yeah. i i i got shit to do but this i was like i looked at my phone and i was like no I'm like don't <laughs> don't give in like just stay here you know and uh you know that that to me is um you know that's 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 beautiful and it's it's really cool that you know i i I don't want to say it's easier, but it's a bit more expected of an animated movie to do it. But also the fact that it can do it to all ages and also that this movie, because it's so specifically geared towards children and the fact that it doesn't dumb anything down, especially in today's media, you know, landscape is really impressive. Like the fact that there's no like dumb jokes or stupid references or you know, unbelievable set of circumstance is what makes this movie timeless. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, it, it stays in the consciousness for so long. And, um, you know, it, de- it deserves it, I think. Um, and Frank, when you return to it, like how, how often do you return to this movie? Do you get something out of it every time? Or do when you sit down, are you like, all right, I'm, I'm ready for that same sentimental feeling I need. Like, is it like a comfort movie to you or do you put it on? You're like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while. Let's see what I pick up from it this time. What's the viewing experience like? Probably on average, I watch it at least once a year. And um, I definitely am very conscious of the fact that I get something new out of it every single time I watch it. Um, yeah. And, you know, every, I know every time I sit down, I'm going to get some of the best music in an animated film that I've ever oh heard God. in my life. It's so fucking good. Uh, I know. Oh my God. The main theme to this yeah. movie, like when, uh-huh. like in the scene where they're growing the trees in the backyard. Yeah. Like uh-huh. it just does, it hits a spot in my brain that just like nothing mm-hmm. else does. And it like, it gets me almost like emotional, just how yeah. just beautiful and sentimental that song is. And it's paired so beautifully with everything that it appears over. Yeah. And it, and it just perfectly conveys every emotion that it's trying to so i I know i'm just gonna get like the amazing um score and um the beautifully painted um backgrounds yeah um the incredible um foley work um i assume that's the right term right yeah and i I didn't even think Uh about that when i was watching like Like oh my sound design and yeah yeah. the effects yeah the sound design is just like incredible um like the scene where acorns yeah, the acorns falling oh. in the house, and the scene where Satsuki runs outside to get firewood, and the wind like blows it away. the The mm-hmm. sound of her picking up the wood and like putting it in her arms before she runs in the house has stuck with me literally since I was like two years old. <laughs> it's just it's, such a satisfying sound. It's so funny you say that. There are definite like movies. There are sound effects movies mm-hmm. for me because of like how embedded like mainly like the matrix for me is purely an auditory experience because of how <laughs> like visceral those sound effects are. And so perfect they are for the 
for the story like i have every one memorized so that's mm. like amazing that you um pinpoint that yeah um but i cut you off sorry no 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 <laughs> it's fine um so i like i know i'm gonna get that but i but every single time i'm going to find something that i focus on more you know sometimes it's how this movie is told like almost entirely through the perspective of a child yeah like like not even just the fact that the two main characters are children and like the things that they do are things that children would do but but like also through the amount of information as audiences that we're given is like the amount of information that a child would have because you don't yeah you don't tell children everything you know you you yeah. only tell them what they need to know and, and that's all we know sometimes i'll focus on like how at the end of the day at least this is the i think the message that one of the messages that miyazaki is, tra- is trying to tell is that at the end of the day everything's going to be okay sometimes i'll focus on how, like how nature like nurturing children and like the how those two things kind of relate to each other in in certain ways like i'll focus on that like Whenever I sit down, it's definitely a comfort movie. Like you, like you asked me earlier, mm-hmm. um, it is absolutely a comfort movie. Um, yeah, it's all it's it's pretty much all good vibes throughout. Um, so I mean, yeah, that's that's basically what I I know I'm about to get myself into when I when I sit down for this. <laughs> all right, well, let's move to the critical breakdown. Um, I want to do a couple quick specs on the movie uh, just for some you know general information. Um, so obviously, uh, my neighbor Totoro is a film from 1988 written and directed by uh Hayao Miyazaki. It is about um two daughters Satsuki and Mei uh and their interactions with a um basically like a like a wood spirit bear type <laughs> creature um at this new house that they move into uh in Japan with their father and their mom is uh sick in a nearby hospital. And again it's 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 cool that like again that is the that's as much plot as you're kind of given you know throughout the uh throughout the film and that you know is one of the greatest strengths um it has become a cultural you know phenomena in a lot of ways becoming the poster child for studio ghibli you know their logo is the side profile of totoro it's kind of become like one of the movies that people think of like instantaneously it's like a a hall of fame film for miyazaki up there with um you know spirit away you know spirit away won him the oscar and you know uh is probably the highest ranking ghibli films are among most but this i think has all of the what makes ghibli and miyazaki great and obviously you know we've touched a lot on that already we both watched the um the english dub uh which was put out um, by Disney, and it stars uh, both Fanning sisters. Important <laughs> to note, we got Dakota and L as uh, Satsuki and May, which is really really fun. Um, Tim Daly as uh, Mr. Katsuakabe. I'm I'm sorry, I'm not like I'm I'm not I'm not good. Um, and then uh, Granny is voiced by Pat Carroll, who. Uh, most people know from uh, being Ursula in the Little Mermaid film. Uh, I think, you know, the Disney dubs of Ghibli, you know, they tend to get a lot of, um, you know, recognizable 
names and um and stars you know like kirsten dunce is kiki in kiki's delivery service or billy crystal is calcifer in Howl's movie castle or something like that mm-hmm. i actually really like this dub personally i'm curious to see what you guys think if you'd grown up with the sub um i mean i'm not a purist on subs or dubs but i actually really like the cast i think both fanning sisters are really good i think tim daly is a great voice to hear i mean he was the voice of superman on superman the animated series back in the 90s which is a good point of nostalgia for me so it's always great to hear his voice um you know frank welker coming in as totoro you know just cashing that check making animal noises obviously he's living his best life you know he's happy good for him and you know pat carroll giving this warm kind of you know velvety kind of sound to this grandmother and it's obviously a completely different character than you know the uh the older woman in like spirited away who's kind of this witch-like figure um i i really what, what did you guys think of the cast like i actually really thought they did a good job and you know set the tone and vibe for like the relationships and what these characters are searching for throughout the film um, have you guys watched the sub before? Like, what did you think of uh, the English dub? I've I've never seen the sub, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm pretty certain that I've only because there's two English dubs, um, and I I think I've only seen the Disney dub, but mm-hmm. I I know Frank <laughs> has yes. a different perspective. So I have very um, strong opinions on the dub. Okay, um, good, me. all good opinions. Um, I there are two dubs. Um, okay, I think objectively, this Disney dub is the better dub. Um, okay. I think the Elf, the the Fanning sisters are a fantastic choice, especially because they are actual sisters, yeah. um, and probably around the age of Satsuki and May when they recorded this. But yeah, the, ori- the original dub was done by Fox in the nineties. Um, and always going for quality. Fox <laughs> <laughs> Corporation, yeah. yeah, they they know what they're doing, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the one I grew up on. I watched it so many times that it's like seared into my brain. Um, yeah, and it, it just does not have the same impact on me when I watch this current dub. Mm-hmm. But it is not as good because <laughs> so- whoever they chose to play Satsuki in the original dub sounds like like she's about to go to college and like <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's not good yeah and like may i mean may, like everyone else is generally fine but like for whatever reason satsuki's care um voice actor just sounds so much older than a child you know it's funny now that you're saying this it, it that makes it 10 times funnier because um you know the the woman who voiced voiced the original is her name is lisa uh michelson i, I don't know what else she's been in mm-hmm. but the person who plays may is cheryl chase who voiced angelica on rugrats and so oh. putting that voice next to someone who's about to go to college hilarious that's yeah, so yeah. funny like that's yeah. that's that's perfect unintentional comedy and like the key is to probably why that dub does not work yeah like, at all. yeah and why it needed another one um and and they pronounce names wrong like they, pr- they pronounce satsuki's names like satsuki in the original in the original yeah which is like you know and, I, and in my head i'm like her she's satsuki she's not satsuki but like she is satsuki you know like yeah uh-huh. um so I I love I you know I love the original dub just because I grew up with it and it has all the voices that I that I know I love it so much that I own two copies of that VHS like just in case like 
<laughs> I'll, I can never find it anywhere else, but um, I don't blame you, man. I, <laughs> I do not blame that decision at all. Yeah. Um, One thing the Disney dub does, and I don't know if the original dub did it uh, at one point. It's it's very minor, but it always makes me cringe when uh, English dub adaptations of anime do this. Is uh, at one point they're eating mochi, and the dad mm. calls it cake, and he's uh, like, "Yeah, thanks for making uh-huh. this cake," and it's very clearly mochi well, that's yeah. yeah that's what i was like that's not i was i, I didn't know what it was but i was like fairly so i'm like that's not cake there's no way <laughs> yeah no yeah. that's not right <laughs> but one of my favorite things about any of these dubs and it is a like kind of through line through all of ghibli movies that i've seen is the when actors read a line like that needs to be a specific like heightened emotion uh or like you know convey conveying a sense of a sense of either like seriousness or um like urgency and since they're doing it in individual takes not in the through line sometimes out of context it sounds very funny and so there's a (laughs) lot of very unintentionally funny lines uh that are like kind of thrown in here one of them even like right in the right in the beginning then they're moving in the girls are like yelling something at the dad and then the the moving guy's like hey where do you want the radio and the dad's like oh right the radio (laughs) (laughs) or there's another one later where um when they're all like running around trying to find may you know they uh satsuki's like it wasn't her sandal because they found the sandal in the uh in the water and they're like hey uh it's not her sandal and they're like oh thank god all right i'm gonna run off and find her and then one of the workers around here like yells is like hey it's not her sandal like wow thanks for the update bud <laughs> oh i thought you were going to mention um during like that same scene the exact same scene when they realize it wasn't her sandal some again random man just goes that must have been granny acting up again <laughs> you're like, oh, you're like all right that's just granny acting up again <laughs> and it makes us laugh every time <laughs> oh my god i also think that scene's very funny because it's just like well whose sandal is it is there another kid in there <laughs> Yeah, that's also so there's some definite like clearly questions that are set up but not answered. We'll get into those a little bit later, but yeah. like to continue on this track are really funny lines. What it's so great because like I remember when I watched Kiki's Delivery Service for the first time, there were so many lines that just struck me as being objectively hilarious. Like there's this <laughs> one part where Kiki sets up like the first customer that she gets, like she's like, Oh, a customer, and it's this fat guy, and he's like, I hear you're running a delivery service. <laughs> <laughs> like, just clearly character is like not at all how a human being would sound there's so many moments like that like when uh i can't remember what the context of it is but it's something like i i i think it's like it's somewhere towards the beginning and they're like having dinner and oh it's when the windstorm is happening like it's it's like really windy and like the the house is like kind of being picked up a little bit and it's like what if the house like like falls down like what like what if it blows away (laughs) And the dad just goes, well, that would be a problem since we just moved in. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Straight to the point. No fat, like just like (laughs) stating the obvious, like absolutely telling how it is. Thanks, bud. (laughs) Appreciate it. Um, But that, again, brings like invokes the charm of these movies and how like just how they're bringing them to modern audiences of the shortcomings almost and trying to convey that and obviously just having american accents you know say you know japanese like names like satsuki or um again whatever their last name is that i'm gonna butcher and i don't (laughs) sound like an idiot but 
you know, like having those lines, like, again, it's unintentionally funny, but it never takes me out of it. It makes the experience more whole where I was just like, that's just, they're clearly trying to go for something else, but it's so charming and funny. It's it, again, it almost has invokes that childlike sense when like a kid says something that like they think is just like normal and you realize is actually fucking hysterical. <laughs> it like is like lined up perfectly with that. And I love these English dubs for that, like, like main reason. I mean, apart from like the cast, like already just being like very talented. And obviously, again, there's a whole other conversation about like giving voice actors voice acting roles. And yes, I agree with that. But you get those moments of real humor, you know, and uh, it's just it's it's really great. And mm. it makes me very, very happy with those <laughs> things like that. Because, like, these movies aren't intentionally, like, trying to be super funny. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. They don't need to be. Like, they really don't. But when you get little nuggets like that, just <laughs> as an American viewer, fantastic. Yeah. I yeah. love it very much. Um, I, I think what what is it, the key, like, the heart of this movie, you know, is the family dynamic, or obviously at least the sibling dynamic between um, Sasuke and May uh, and their father. And I, I love what you said earlier, Frank, and that like you're not given, or one of you said this, I can't remember who, but like you're not given, you're given as much information as a child would, mm -hmm. right? So this movie is technically set in like a post-war rural Japan, right? There's no real remnants of, um, or clear signifiers that it's like a total fallout from the war. And you're really feeling that like a lot of like more serious dramas would kind of depict it as such, but you're, you get the sense that like, okay, they're moving out here for a new life. Not really sure what the father does apart from just being a professor. Like he's a professor of archeology. span Okay. We're not really sure like what he's doing in his office, but he's just making lesson plans or what he's doing. We don't know what the, um, you know, mom is sick with or what she was doing, how she got sick. You know, the only thing we know is that she's in a hospital. She's trying to get better. At one point she has a cold and it's not the first time that she's had a cold and had to cancel coming home. But that doesn't bother me. Like that isn't again, like it, I, I'm not left those questions unanswered feeling, you know, cheated or unfulfilled in a way. Does that at all like get to you guys or are you like totally fine with those questions not being answered? Does yeah. Does leave a sense of mystery? It, it never bothered me. Um, and I think the reason is what Frank said that it, it's, it adds to, to the childlike meeting them at their level and childlike <laughs> understanding of issues in adult drama. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I never thought of putting it that way that you did, Frank. But yeah, not knowing what the mom is sick with, it yeah, it is almost like exactly how a child would understand it. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and you know, it doesn't bother me. On the contrary, I think it's very, very purposeful. Um, yeah, and very key to the atmosphere and 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 the the themes that the movie is trying to get across. You know, children don't need to know what their parents who are very ill, if, you know, if their parents are very ill, children don't need to know the extent of it. Um, right. There's no reason to, you know, sit down and explain every aspect of your job to your young children. Um, mm -hmm. All they know is that you are in your office writing a lot and that you are a, a teacher and you know what you teach, you know, the name of what they teach, you know, the subject, but you don't know what that entails you know, you're, you're moving, you're, you know, you're moving to be closer to your mom. Uh, 
Mm -hmm. That's kind of it. You don't have any idea what went into deciding where to to live, how long you're going to be there, if if you're going to be there forever or not. Like it's, I think it's very purposefully done. Yeah, it is a very clear, you know, intentional mise en scène kind of direction that it takes, and it, it it's fun to discover things with these characters. You know, when they're running around being like oh you know the the path up to the house and you know oh it could be haunted but like i don't really care you know (laughs) Um, discovering the soot uh fairies or whatever they're whatever they're called so it's yeah yeah but soot frights and like you know chasing them around and finding the acorns you know and you know finding things like that it's funny i was i was just watching um because I had to do an episode on it. I watched um, the Japanese film House twice. Oh, oh we love that movie. Yeah, no, oh, House perfect is, House movies is, for October. No, it's it's phenomenal. Um, you know, that episode is at the time of the this re- release of this episode is already out. So you can listen to that if you want. Um, but what's cool about that is, again, it's another movie that like really gives you a full sense of location where you um know where everyone is you know you know every single like the layout of the house and this movie kind of does a very similar thing you know and adding a sense of mystery to like the attic you know Mm -hmm. having the staircase being hidden behind this like one cabinet and adding that level of like all right we got to run around we got to find the house or we got to find the stairs you Mm -hmm. know and then like having the the acorn drop like down the stairs Mm -hmm. and kind of feel like oh something here what's going on (laughs) And yeah, just them running around and like when they're first introduced to Granny and May's like running one way and then she ends up coming back the other way and she goes back around the other way again. It's like it's very funny. And like, you know, you get a good sense of, again, adventure. And Rihanna, we kind of talked about this a little bit with Call Me By Your Name, how that location, like that house feels like a very specific lived in environment that you have a lot of like nooks and crannies to explore. And that's like something that like gives this movie life in a way like the the house itself is like fairly, you know, simple on the inside. It's not a super colorful place. You know, we mentioned it's old. It's kind of falling apart. Like when they show up, they're just like shaking the rotting wood that's like, you know, (laughs) holding up the porch. And but they love it. You know, it's their enthusiasm for it that gives you more life. You know, I think in, in, in another you know, cynical American Hollywood, you know, remake kind of fashion. They just walk in and be like, oh, this place is a piece of shit. Like, that would just be (laughs) it, you know. But here, you know, they're excited about everything. You know, the idea that it may be haunted, the idea that, you know, uh, there's woods around, there's that giant tree in the backyard, and, you know, the idea of growing sprouts from the acorn. Like, their enthusiasm, I think, gives you you know the real uh connection to the scenery on top of the scenery already being you know very pretty and beautiful but it almost like isn't really the most beautiful scenery of a ghibli movie like i honestly kind of find more beauty in like mononoke or something i don't know am i wrong in saying that like i think like the it's it is beautiful like i'm not saying like this scenery sucks and the kids like make you like it but it's just if you just looked at it, you'd be like, oh, OK, that's nice. But mm. the kids like getting you really amped up and running around and showing you everything is if they're like, look at this, look at this. This is so cool. Look what I found. That makes it even more um, of a fulfilling experience. Do you guys feel the same way or like what, what do you think? I, I think the scenery is simple, but I think there's a sense of scale that really gives it. Mm. Like you said, that look how amazing this is. And, and yeah, awe. 
the house feels huge because mm-hmm. I think we are in May and Satsuki's world and it feels big to them. And then of course the forest feels giant, but then we get that lovely little sequence later on where May is running around and runs right back out on the other side. Like you see, it's really not too big once mm-hmm. dad there and the adult perspective is in but when it's just may crawling through the forest um it it looks like a labyrinth yeah but it's not that giant yeah i I think the scenery is kind of simple it just feels very large it feels like a big house a big yard to play in and again Mm -hmm. that kind of pulls on childhood memories for me of of everywhere feeling so much bigger than it actually was because then you go back to the same places as as an adult and you realize that it's just normal sized and really quickly before passing it to frank um i you talking about the house and how it's possibly haunted and creepy but the girls are excited about it i really like that this movie doesn't focus on it would have been very easy to make a story about like Casper or something. The girls befriend- befriending a yeah. um, house ghost. I like mm-hmm. that the forest is very one with the house. It, it really feels mm-hmm. like the same playing field because it's forest creatures and ghosts that yeah. the girls befriend, not just like a house ghost. And mm-hmm. I, like we get that lovely little shot of the soot sprites moving out. Yeah, And I, I like that sequence of, hey, th- there's nothing about the house. It's all going to be the forest that mm-hmm. has the magic. But the girls make it a pretty easy transition to the forest and back home. If yeah. I, yeah. I, I love that. But um, I do love the that shot of the, the sprites like leaving the house. And they're talking night. to each other. Like, yeah. Like they're going to the cloud and nope. You know, like <laughs> <going up> it's <there. laughs> so beautiful. Frank, what do you think um, about the scenery? I think I think that's an interesting point because I have always felt that this movie has absolutely incredible scenery, but at the same time, it is very regular scenery. It is scenery that, like, if you were to go into the countryside of Japan, you would just see everything that these people see. But I think with a com- with a combination of just of Miyazaki and how talented he is, talented he is not only in as an artist and and drawing but as as someone who's able to set a scene um and framing and putting his characters where they need to be a combination of all that and uh, you know viewing the scenery and the settings through the eyes of a child it makes it more than it kind of is in the very in the very beginning when they are driving to the house there's a very quick shot of the the car with all their stuff and making a really sharp turn like on this like dirt road and there's like a little like shrine to i don't it's not not a buddha statue it's some statue and i've never really taken notice of it as strongly until this time around but i was just like like blown away by it for some reason this this time just how absolutely gorgeous gorgeous it was um so I don't know if I would say that I think this movie has, you know, not as spectacular scenery as like his other movies. And I don't, and I'm, you know, not trying to say that that's what either, either of you guys were (laughs) saying, but um, I think it is particularly gripping and spectacular in a different way than 
a lot of Miyazaki's other movies um, because mm-hmm. you know there's there's plenty of supernatural and myst and mystical things in this movie, but the environment itself is not exact is not necessarily what makes it that way. Um, yeah. Whereas in a lot of his other movies, the environment is what makes it that way. Yeah, that's. I think that's a really good way to put it because, again, you know, I, I mean, I keep referencing Princess Mononoke because it's the most recent of his films, like other than Totoro that I've seen. And again, the fact that that movie is such like a a clear conflict and fight between man and nature, you know, you have to see the fantastic like qualities of the the creatures mixing in with the humans, and you know the the differences in the the tribes and the sides of things so that you like really amps it up. I mean, he also probably had like a bigger budget for that film and it just being on such a grand scale. Like I think what you said about like, you know, that and spirited away being, you know, this huge fantasy epics, you know, in a way, you know, he has a bit more freedom in this movie to, you know, do a lot with a little, and it's mm-hmm. cool because then again, you see the through line of like what he's setting up to do in later films like those two that I just mentioned. And yeah, it's it is cool to see, you know, the characters give it life. Like you know, you mentioned the scene where they're you know, when they wake up in the middle of the night and they're you know, um, sprouting the plants from the acorns. That's so invigorating because you're just watching and you're like, oh my god, like it's all about like pulling the will like out of the earth and like mm-hmm. making something happen. And then like the tree comes up and and then when they wake up and they realize like, oh shit, like it actually wasn't real. But there are <laughs> sprouts there like that's like still this euphoric moment of like oh we did it like yes like that's so (laughs) it's so energizing Mm -hmm. and it's so you know fulfilling as you know as opposed to them waking up and being disappointed as like oh there's no there's no tree you know they realize it's not really the point and the fact that they are like still taking the step you know to get what they want it's really cool to see that and to just then see how nature and the surrounding area and characters affects their their mental state and their perception of everything. You know, I think the movie, you know, we can talk about this in analysis, but again, does a good job of like melding the fantasy and childhood wonderment into real life. And again, managing your expectations and, you know, messing with what you want in, you know, an obstacle or just an objective or anything like that, just in life. Um, And then just boiling it down to the like simplest of circumstance is really cool. And it's really hard to do. And so to, again, do all of those things. And I love that scene where they're, you know, making the tree from the acorns and just Mm -hmm. letting it grow and just like jumping up and down and they, you know, get on the little spinning top and (laughs) go all the way around. Like I was watching it. I was like, this is like one of the most beautiful moving, like moving, like literally moving sequences in an animated movie. Because like, again, I was just so struck by the fact that like, you know, nothing's happening. Like, really, <laughs> like, and I, I hate saying that because it's always used as, as a demerit on storytelling that like nothing happens, but like literally there's nothing happening in that scene. And it's so beautiful. And I don't care because <laughs> yeah. it works. Yeah. Like they're like, yes. I mean, yes, there are things happening in it, but like watching, you're just like, there's nothing about a greater, grander scheme or story or, you know, message or whatever. It's just like, let's just go see the wonders of like this field. We'll go up into the tree. We'll check out the moon. I'll play my little hamster pipe, whatever he's blowing <laughs> on, you know, and it's cool. Like it's great. It's beautiful. I, yeah. I, I love it. And you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to do that. 
Yeah. And it's just great that they were able to pull that off, you know? I, I said to Rihanna during that scene, um, when they, after, you know, they flew around on the spinning top and they're up in the tree playing those mm-hmm. flute things. I was like, I love that that scene is basically Totoro just being like, come hang out with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, literally. No, he, he needs, they want friends, Yeah, you know? And, you know, I mean, this movie is about friendship in a lot of ways and, mm-hmm. you know, taking the steps to make those new relationships in a, in an unknown world or an unknown place. And, you know, the, the bus stop scene is kind of like the poster child for this movie in a mm-hmm. way. And, you know, Satsuki and May are waiting there in the rain and, you know, their their dad is supposed to be on the next bus and it's taken a while to get there. And then Totoro just comes out of nowhere and he's just <laughs> kind of standing there. And it's really funny because, you know, Totoro's expression is, you know, big eyes, closed mouth. He doesn't say a whole lot. He's just kind of standing there. I just love the idea of like he's standing there a few seconds before uh, Satsuki realizes that he's there. And he doesn't even realize like when she looks at him that she knows he's there. So I think it's just funny if he like just turned where it was just like, hey, wait for a bus. (laughs) 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 Oh, fucking stupid. But it's so funny because again, like that's almost like a whole scene that could be done without dialogue in a way because it's just like teaching him about like staying out of the rain and then finding out like what he's interested in, how he like jumps and like Mm -hmm. lets the raindrops fall on him. And that's like really cute. Great that he also, like Totoro, has some agency, but also isn't an idiot. You know, he's not just the dumb, dopey, like, child pet thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's not just there to be cute. Right. You know, he has some actual, like, lore and, like, part in the story. Like, again, calling the cat bus. Love the cat bus. Big (laughs) fan of the cat bus. When that came on screen, I was like, what the fuck? Like, that's great, (laughs) you know? Um, And again helping them and you know taking them to see their mom and trying to find may and it's like it's cool that he actually is a part of the story you know and you want him to be because he's in the fucking title but like (laughs) you know it's nice that he's not just the dumb thing that they run into and we're just like all right we got this fucking side piece which would be so easy again if they were going for a more modern you know jokey really aimed at kids thing like really dumbing it down um we we don't but get it's a, nice that he's like actually a, a a character you know yeah we don't get a get out of here you big stupid animal scene <laughs> can't just see i don't watch anymore <laughs> yeah I, I don't know how miyazaki does it and if either of you disagree feel free to just say you disagree and he doesn't do it but i feel like there is a quiet wisdom that you can feel from Totoro. 100%. And, oh, totally. Yeah. And, but Absolutely. I, I, yeah. Thinking back on it, I truly don't know how he does it because I don't think I could even explain why I feel that way. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. because like Josh said, his face is pretty expressionless other than when he has his big smile and he doesn't speak English. He just grunts. But he feels very wise mm-hmm. and like all knowing and yeah. knowing, like you said earlier, Frank, everything will be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's yeah. a quiet wisdom about him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he, you know, you know, he shows up at the perfect time all the time. Like he he shows up exactly when, when they need when him. they need him. It's like he, Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um he always he's always just doing exactly what he wants to do and everything that he's doing, you know, Satsuki and May are always are so transfixed by 
at the bus stop and he's just standing there in the rain with the leaf on his head. Um, and, and she's like, well, you, you need an umbrella. You're standing in the rain. You obviously need an umbrella. And he's like, I don't, I have no idea how to use this thing. Um, and she, and he show and she shows him and, and he never gives it back. And he, 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 he like holds on to it forever. And, and, you know, he figures out how, like how you mentioned Josh, how to jump in the raindrops from the trees fall on him. And, um, you know, the bus comes and he like he you know he was there waiting for a bus like they were and um you know he's he's not doing anything he, everything he's doing he doesn't like need to be like told anything he's just he's just living his life you know and and yeah. like he knows you know i'm trying to explain it like but it is kind of hard to explain it just feels like he knows how to do everything that he already needs to do, like needs to be able to do. Well, that's how animals are in general. That's, I, that's true. Yeah. I think the Totoro feels like a very good in between of a regular animal, but also a forest God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you yeah. need a healthy medium, you know, for sure. <laughs> um, I, th- I think what you're trying to say, Frank, is that he sets the example. Yeah. You know, he, yeah is the one that the kids kind of look towards in that sense. And that he has a lot of the relatability with, you know, even though he's been, you know, lived a full life, you know, however many hundreds of years or whatever, like just in the trees, um, he still finds things that he's innately curious about when he jumps and like lets those raindrops fall on him. It's almost like he's never done that before. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you yeah, get yeah. that sense that he's like for some reason has never thought of that. Well, because I mean, he's never had an umbrella over his head. <laughs> but still, you know, it's it's the mm-hmm. same thing of like, oh shit, experiencing something new. Yeah. And he kind of shares that emotion and feeling with the with the girls in that sense, but I do totally agree. He does have this like Buddha like wisdom to him where he does kind of feel like, "Hey, everything's going to be all right. I'll take care of you guys. You guys are smart." It's going to be okay. And it's cool that he doesn't like, he doesn't talk, you know, he doesn't Mm -hmm. talk. He doesn't go through a character arc. He's the same character throughout. And I I love that. You know, I think again, it's tough to not talk about what a cynical American remake would do. But like, (laughs) I think that the other way that people would go is like, okay, make him this like disgruntled, like older, um, you know, character of being like, I don't want to fucking help you kids anymore. I got my own, like, leave me alone. And then learns to find the joy in life from them as opposed to passing it along to them. And it, it, it's perfect. You know, I do find it hilarious, though, that like everything about him, like look wise and, you know, action and mannerism wise is so lovable and so cuddly <laughs> and so warm. And then when he roars, it's like the bear from the Revenant. It's like <laughs> terrifying. It's like this this thing will fucking rip you apart. Like, not to get into like the nitpicky stuff, but like if if, if I was a child and saw this thing, like, and even if I was like fully enamored with it, if it like roared in my face, I would shit my pants <laughs> and immediately run away. Yeah. Like terrifying yeah and the fact that he does it like to the moon and the top of the tree to, to get the cat bus to horrifying yeah. just like insane dichotomy of a character but yeah. it's funny like it's obviously like not a flaw i'm not being like um actually like it's like it's just it's just kind of a funny like all right there's two very different sides to this character mm-hmm. that well, we're ag- looking at here I, again i think that's the like not dumbing it down where mm-hmm. he's not the most like kid friendly creature like he's got big yeah. scary claws mm. and he roars 
a deep, scary, loud roar. And sometimes he looks a little creepy with like the blank look. And the yeah. wide smile. Yeah. Yeah. The wide smile, I think, is like, would you say it's purposefully a little creepy looking Francis or um, I think there's something about it that looks kind of. I definitely think it's a little creepy. creepy. Um, or the cat bus when it's just staring at the girls and yeah. smiling. It almost looks mm-hmm. a little creepy, even though the cat bus was creepier to me than the than Totoro was. Yeah. But I do agree that that smile, which like that kind of wide Cheshire cat kind of grin to it is very familiar in a lot of Ghibli films. And yeah, it's very off putting. Mm-hmm. I think the first intention or the forward intention is to be inviting yeah but there is something kind of off-putting where you're like oh and yeah <laughs> and, and instead of being that. bright and fluffy and talking in a language the girls could understand which i think again would be a dumbing down of that kind of character totoro doesn't talk yeah <laughs> is large yeah. and loud mm-hmm. it's all through action it's all yeah. like what he does that shows you but the fact that he learns from the girls again like showing that use of the umbrella and getting that kind of um, establishing that compassion that they have for one another is so important. And again, then comes back when they're searching for May. And again, that like, I think a lot of movies and just in, in general movies get it wrong that it's not just a relationship of two people know about each other. There's this giving and taking from each side where it's, it's great to see that, they are obviously enamored with Totoro and want to learn about him, but he is also curious and enjoys them and wants to take something away from them as well. And so that is where the relationship is actually kind of nurtured in a way. And as opposed to just being like, Hey, I like this fluffy furry thing. (laughs) He'll help us. Right. Mm -hmm. When there's really nothing there, they take the time to actually show that there's something clearly there. You know, and again, it's the easy, lazy cop out just to be like, oh, this thing looks cool or looks cute. Then that makes them like they're going to be my friend for this movie like that, I think, is the easy step to take again, as as opposed to then like they again, it, it frees yourself up for this kind of hangout style to really play with the characters. So you can just have this scene at the bus stop where, again, you're just kind of waiting for a bus. <laughs> There's a whole lot that you can do with that a whole lot. of, But they don't do anything with it's not about conflict. It's not about tension. It's not about pain. It's not really about emotion. It's just about connection. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's a big thing about this movie, you know, being about connection and the relationships that we make, but they actually, you know, it again, makes it way more interesting and more fulfilling when Totoro comes to visit them, like when they're sleeping, like in their dreams. And then they do the whole thing with the tree and why he would want to help them. Like, it's not just as simple as like, oh, Totoro's a character in the movie, so obviously he would do these things. It's like, not really. That's not really obvious as to why he would, just because he's there. You know, he can easily do this for anyone else in the village. He can go talk to, you know, you know, whatever the granny's grandson is wearing the Civil War hat, looking like Benjamin Horn when he falls off of the rails in <laughs> Twin Peaks a little bit, you know? <laughs> But he like there's a relationship there, you know, like it's 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 so easy. It's so easy just to make those little, you know, that a little amount of effort to make it an actual relationship in storytelling. And it's it's I went out, I got my soapbox there for a little bit. I'm sorry. (laughs) But like it's it's really beautiful that like, again, putting the effort into that to make it 
something more uh, fulfilling is just a story is so great i wanted to talk about the ending uh like the last like 30 minutes or so because again the, the movie does kind of shift a little bit um not i wouldn't say like greatly but like it clearly starts to take on this a bit more of a serious tone once the um you know the ideas of the the mother feeling more sick and then you know they have to kind of separate the sisters um may and satsuki and so may runs off and wants to you know help and then there becomes this search does it feel to you um, because it's such a shift in a movie that isn't like that is a bit plotless? Does it feel a bit out of nowhere? Does it feel a bit kind of um, cheap in the tension or do you think it's like valid? Because for me, it actually kind of worked where I was just like, all right, we're just kind of spending this like smaller conflict that does have stakes within the story. But again, isn't, you know, grand like the world is ending kind of thing like do you think it works or should it just stayed along the hangout path i think it works and i don't know if it could just be chalked up to the writing or the performances in the dub yeah i it always like really hits me when the girls start to bicker about their mom being sick you know satsuki's like do you want her to die is that what it is like quick yeah, that a was baby. a lot yeah i no but see i don't think it comes out of nowhere i think no, I'm not. I was just I, like, I think, oh, we're asking yeah. this now. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's like a really, it feels very natural, like a natural buildup of the quiet tension of a sick parent just kind of yeah. spilling out. And okay, we got to spend all this time in a fantasy world hanging out with Totoro, but this is real world. And mm -hmm. it, it felt really, really natural. And yeah, it, it it's, it's effective, I think. I don't think the tone shifts too abruptly. I think the ending is abrupt, but we'll get to that, I'm mm. sure. Uh, what What do you think, though, Frank? I think it works really well because it's that's kind of how real life is. You know, real life doesn't move along on a on a three act structure. Um, move along like I know you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, and you know, I guess you know maybe you could say, well, this isn't real life. This is a movie. You know, I wouldn't necessarily begrudge someone for feeling that way, but you know, we don't ever fully know what their what their mom is sick with but we know that she's sick enough to have to be in the hospital and yeah. sick enough to have to slowly reintegrate her herself into like regular life um so a sickness like that is more likely than not going to be like kind of touch and go um mm -hmm. and it and something like that would kind of just come out of nowhere even though this movie does not have much of a plot and it really is just a representation of children being children and being allowed to be children. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, and that is just kind of what it is. Um, it kind of, I think benefits from a rise in tension. Again, I think that respect for children that I think Miyazaki, I assume he has uh, through watching the movie. I think that also is really shown in how the girls deal with, the very scary adult troubles. You know, we, we see that moment of Satsuki crying into Granny's arms. And I, I think yeah. that's always, that always like gets to, to me. Yeah. Uh, it, it, that hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, again, not having respect would be, well, no, uh, our main heroine is tough and like is the big sister and doesn't cry about these things. Do you know what I mean? I, I think yeah, it's important uh -huh. to see kids react like going too deep into like the tomboy stereotype yeah like, and, and yeah. that doesn't happen and i think that is really really good and mm -hmm. just a very 
May wanting to bring her mom corn. Yeah. <laughs> just like stuff sweet. like that, because it'll make her feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's it's an accurate depiction of children understanding sickness yeah. and death. And and I like what you said, Frank, about how in real life a, a sick parent is very often a touch and go situation. So it doesn't really feel like anything too abrupt. It it does feel pretty true to life. Um, mm-hmm. that introduction. Yeah, it always gets to me that that quarter of the film. Yeah. One other thing that I wanted to mention was that I think it is also a very good representation of how adults explain this kind of situation to a child. You know, Mm -hmm. when Satsuki's on the phone with her dad, he is so gentle and like careful with her. He's like, you know, before he hangs up, he's like, I'm going to hang up now and I'm going to I'm going to call you right back giving her that reassurance. And I also think it's a good representation of how adults can say things to children that may not be the best thing to say to children. And there's one line that Granny says to Satsuki that's really stuck out to me this time around. And I was, and I don't know if this was like, this might not have been purposeful, but it, this is what I took from it where she said, how could a mother leave two wonderful girls like you? And mm. I, I was like, that's a really interesting thing to say to a kid because what if she does die? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say to her then after mm-hmm. you said that? Um, and that was not obviously not a malicious thing, you know, right. to say to her. She was trying to comfort her and, and everything, but adults say things that you know in the moment feel right but maybe you know adults make mistakes you know you make mistakes with children no matter how much you trying to do the right thing um Mm -hmm. and because you know i you know i had a very sick parent when i was growing up and i you know put myself in that her shoes and thinking about having that being told to me Mm -hmm. you know i that would have probably had an impact on me and maybe not in the best way. Um, totally. So I think that this whole segment of the movie ha- is just full of how important it is with um, in regards to how we communicate things to kids. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it really works. And it's, it is one of those things where, again, it is a very emotion forward. And I think the movie, you know, for the most part has been very emotion forward, but this is because it's so different from the rest of the film. It does kind of feel like, oh, here's a, a shift, especially then there almost becomes like a sense of a journey where it's like, okay, or an, ob- an objective in a way where it's like, all right, May's gone. We got to find her. Let's run everywhere, start looking for her kind of thing, which is very separate from the agenda-less nature of the rest of the film. <laughs> But it does work where, again, the the tension ramps up in such a, you know, it it progresses in a natural way, like you're saying, with the, you know, getting the telegram, wanting to find out what's happening to mom, and then it's like, yeah, do you want her to die? And then that kind of shifts them into their separate paths, and uh, Satsuki goes on this, like, you know, journey. There's that great shot of her running with the background moving slower than she is, which is really fun and really beautiful. And... Yeah, I love the I love the themes of what you were talking about, Frank, about like it's about communicating with kids and um, how that and like growing up with a sick parent and how that like leaves an impact on you. But I also think that what's what's great about it is, you know, just reaffirming the love of the sisters for one another. 
and, you know, proving that even if Satsuki, you know, has that moment of breaking down where she is, you know, very sad about her mom. And what got me about that is being the younger brother is like seeing that is like, oh, things aren't going to be okay. You know, having experiences like that. But bringing them back together is so fulfilling or is so satisfying because you're like, all right, they got each other. No matter what happens after, you know, everything's going to be okay. Um, I do agree with you, Rihanna, and I want to know your thoughts. And maybe this can get into more analysis too. But like the ending itself, like the end ending is definitely is just like, all right, movie's over. Like it's like kind of done. Um, and again, it's, it, you know, you can be a little free with a movie that's like plotless and doesn't have the clear like first act, second act, third act, you know, rising action, falling action kind of thing. Um, I definitely would have liked a little bit more resolution. You know, it is kind of like I like just I don't need to have the sense like, okay, this was the most important part of these characters lives. And now it's done. Like, I just need to be like, this chapter is done. Now they will go on to something else. But Mm -hmm. I feel like there's like a scene missing almost, you know, like pacing wise. It's just kind of like, boom, that's it. I think we were supposed to get a little bit of that in post credit. Not not post credits, like mid credits. Um, We get stills of um Mm -hmm. the girl's life i guess um and i think one of those stills is the mom visiting them she's like Mm -hmm. taking a bath with them yep but i agree with you josh that it's something i'd rather see in a scene yeah Um, i I don't know frank you made a comment that all of his movies end kind of abruptly so uh, maybe you have better insight I wouldn't say all of his movies end abruptly, but it's definitely... Or a lot of his movies. It is definitely not uncommon. Even in Mononoke. Mm-hmm. Even in Mononoke, you know, the... Um, Mononoke does kind of just end. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's just like, all right, battle's done. Yeah. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it is definitely not uncommon for his movies to end relatively abruptly, and I wonder if it's purposeful. You know, in, in this movie, and, you know, I do not disagree that it is incredibly abrupt and how <laughs> how this movie ends it is just over um but you know at the same time it's like when i try to think like where would you end this movie i kind of can't think of one because yeah you know their lives aren't over you know this was and this was just a, a snippet of their lives mm-hmm. and, and you know and i think you get a taste of that in the credits where it's like okay they you know mom comes home to visit you know they go to school they may they end up making friends these are all just parts of their lives that go on um yeah it it definitely it it's a little jarring but other than that i don't personally have any issue with it yeah totally fair do you guys have any final critical stuff or do you want to move to analysis i want more totoro that's my critical (laughs) (laughs) i want more more Totoro. Always need more Totoro. <laughs> um, it's like okay, how let's move Silence to of the Lambs. Um, he, yeah. What's his face is only on screen for like seven minutes total. <laughs> but he's all you think about. Yeah. That's how it is in Totoro. Yeah, he's true. on screen for yeah. what, like seven minutes? Totoro's just like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That makes the dad Buffalo Bill. That makes the story way, way darker, unfortunately. <laughs> um, all right, let's move to analyze this. I think there's a lot that you can take away from this movie. And, um, you know, Frank, I think you touched on it, how like, you know, there's different themes that you focus on every single time you watched it. For me, if I may go first, uh, I think what I really focused on is just like, again, because it's, you know, viewed in the eyes of a child and seeing Totoro's powers and what his like actual being is in this forest. 
and that tree scene is so great. I feel like like he is kind of the embodiment of like will and courage and strength to move on, you know, and like power through an obstacle because in that moment, like again, on such a smaller scale, they're focused on, they want the sprouts to grow. And May's always like, Oh, they're going to grow tomorrow. You know, like she always focuses on tomorrow and like, you know, patience is almost her like um, obstacle to overcome, you know? And you know, Totoro represents this feeling of, you know, everything's like you said, everything's going to be okay, but that is embedded in you have to find and dig deep to pull out the strength within you and the ability and self-awareness and understanding to be like, I can do this. It's going to be hard, but I can push through. And it really comes through in that scene. And then obviously, you know, calling on Totoro to get his help and, running through the forest to find him and just like digging as deep as they possibly can in their soul to move forward in life. And again, it's, it's really hard to do that as a child because your reactions and your understanding of the world are so minuscule and so reactionary. And, um, you know, I think that's really the wisdom that Totoro imparts on them is that like, you have to like, this is not going to be easy, but it's going to be okay. And that I, I really love that. And again, there that kind of breeds into the physicality and willfulness of Totoro. Like it's so beautiful to see him jumping around the uh <laughs> the 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 yard or the field, you know, just kind of hanging out in the night. And uh, you know, I think it also it may be easy just to kind of go with an overarching metaphor of him, this animalistic quiet figure, but I don't know, man, that's kind of what the movie is. So like, that's kind of <laughs> just how I read it. But like, I, um, I don't know. What, what, what do you guys think? Do you have any like, um, strong themes for Totoro, like the character, or do you have like just overall themes or, uh, messages about the movie? What do you guys think? I, I liked what you said earlier, Josh, about, you know, you had a lot of reflection on the themes of, of friendship and making friends and relationships in an unknown place. Uh, mm-hmm. which I had never really thought of <laughs> as being a thematic thing about this movie, but it totally is. And it's a great one. And yeah, again, that kind of representation of childhood, you know, when you're a child, you hopefully don't have biases and you again, hopefully have a lot less uh, scar tissue than adults have that kind of impact the way that we try to make new relationships and I think you kind of hit on the head. And another thing that this movie so perfectly captures about childhood is is the making connections and reaching out and the way that the girls interact with Totoro is a perfect representation of that because, again, he's mm-hmm. a big kind of scary <laughs> creature. Yeah. And they're just so not afraid and they're just curious and yeah. and kind. The umbrella thing, it is kindness, mm, ultimately. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's so sweet. Yeah, I had never really thought about the friendship message, uh, and it's it's very beautiful. Um, but I, I think the big takeaway that I have, and I would just repeat myself, so I'm not really going to go too much into it, is just the representation of, of childhood and what it's like to be a kid and connection with nature and your family and your friends and how it is all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and Totoro is just kind of a representation of that, as are the other spirit creatures and forest creatures, and a nice visual visual representation yeah. of um, that kind of 
symbiotic relationship that everything has that can be hard to understand when you're a kid unless you have a large furry creature (laughs) guiding you through it (laughs) yeah it's just a nice beautiful sweet wholesome movie and and that's another thing i love about uh, miyazaki's films It, it there's no dark hidden message oh did you mm-hmm. know this is actually supposed to represent this and he it's like he cuts adults almost completely out of the picture in this film i mean he doesn't because we get a lot of adult perspective from granny and the dad and mom and yeah it's nice to relate to the way they see the girls um as another adult but he really seems to just not think about kind of like what adults are going to Maybe I'm wrong in saying that. I think he thinks about adults, but he he cuts out any kind of. He doesn't care about the grown up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Frank, what about you? Any um, what what stood out to you this time around? Well, well, first, first and foremost, I also really like your observation of, um, you know, making friendships, making connections, especially at a young age, um, because it, you know it is immediate in the movie that that is something that's focused on. Um, you know, when they're driving and there's the man on the bike who they think is the police officer and they mm-hmm. hide from him because they probably shouldn't be riding in the bed of the truck, <laughs> but they realize it's just some yeah. guy on, on a bike. And so like they wave to him and he waves back. And um, when they stop in front, they finally get to the house and the, the dad gets out and yells across the field I mean, like we're your new neighbors mm-hmm. like the first thing he does is tries to make a connection with someone yeah um and I, you know i'm sure satsuki and may see that and like um take note of that and i think what i noticed the most this time around was um the idea of it takes a village to raise a child immediately you know granny comes over and is like you know i've been taking care of this house um while it's been empty like i'm gonna be here to help you guys because i'm you know i know your circumstances i'm sure you're gonna need it so you know the village you know the people around them are there to guide them and provide a safe environment for them but i also think totoro it's him itself him himself (laughs) is a uh representation of that as well like Mm -hmm. you know May stumbles upon him, discovers him, knows that he's there because it's time for her to discover him. He wants her to discover him, I think. He's opening up the way for her to stumble upon him. But, you know, and she falls asleep, she wakes up in the forest, and she can't get back to him. You know? Yeah. Um, and I almost, like, sort of saw that as, like, a, you know, right now, you can't, you can't be here. You have to be you know, with your family, you have to be at your, in, in, at your house. Um, basically in like, as a way of providing a safe and proper environment for a child to be a child, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, when May tries to run back in and she spits back out, um, you know, a few feet down from the bushes, it's almost to me feels like Toto is being like, not right now. You have to be here. Yeah. Um, I'm guiding you. I am putting you where you need to be. It made me take notice of how important it is to provide an environment where it is safe for a child to be a child and not to, to not make it, make children have to change 
who they are to satisfy an environment that the parent wants. We need yeah. to provide an mm-hmm. environment for a child to be a child. I also, I think the one of the first scenes in, in the movie where they get to the house and they're shaking the pole, you know, and it's like falling down on them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's not the safest thing in the world for a kid <laughs> to be doing, but no one yells at them. No one yeah. comes mm-hmm. over and scolds them. They do it for a second. It falls down. They run away. They do cartwheels in the, in the <laughs> field. And it's almost, to me, it's just like, this is a space where it is okay for you to discover things and live your lives and be curious. We as adults will put like kind of guardrails around that and like guide Mm -hmm. you so that you can do that. That's, Oh, you know, I think that actually kind of answers my is like my answer to the final question, you know, why we love this movie and how it adds to our love of movies, which I would love to get into if I may, because that just like sparks something, you know, in me as like, I think that like speaks to maybe, you know, I don't want to speak for your guys' experience, but why movies themselves are so wonderful is that like, you know, television has a longer span of commitment and, you know, um, connection with the characters, whereas movies feel so contained where, you know, what you're describing, Frank, is not just something that is about, a. Um, it is not limited to a child's perspective. That is a, a, a human being's perspective of, you need the space to be imaginative, to be able to run free and to connect with almost otherworldly cosmic forces to become a human being. But then you also have to deal with real life stuff. Like this movie also deals with childhood, like disappointment and sadness and um, fear, you know, as much as it does about wonderment. And that's really beautiful. And what a movie does is it for, for, you know, 90 minutes or two hours or however long it says to you forget about everything that's happening and be come with me come with us in this world when it's done you have to go back and do whatever you need to do Mm -hmm. you have your responsibilities you have your um you know um your duties as a human as a as a parent as a child as a um as a family member whatever it is but for this amount of time i will give you to get lost in whatever it is I'm about to show you. And Totoro knows that. And I think that's kind of where that wisdom that you're talking about, Rihanna, comes from, is that he taps into a specific amount of a child's imagination. And, it, you know, you could probably note that that's like a nitpicky thing of like, well, why is it that like she doesn't see him when like the dad's around, but if she's a wood, it doesn't matter. It like literally doesn't matter. Um, but that is like so metaphorical for the experience of watching a movie of going into a place that is unknown but like has some form of familiarity to it and finding peace and imagination and letting creativity run wild and be you are subjected to for a stretch of time and yes your otherworldly issues don't just go away you have to think but like for that time you don't have to think about them and maybe that just speaks to me of loving escapism (laughs) <laughs> but that is embedded in this movie as something that is speaks to us as human beings and is, is fundamental to the love of to my love of films and filmmaking. And I wanted to read Roger Ebert's quote from his review of this movie is so perfect, I feel, because it's, you know, it just encapsulates everything is that my neighbor Totoro is based on experience, situation and exploration, not on conflict and threat. It wouldn't it would have never 
won its worldwide audience just because of its warm heart. It's also rich with human comedy in the way it observes the two remarkable, convincing, lifelike little girls. It is a little sad, a little scary, a little surprising, and a little informative, just like life itself. It depends on a situation instead of plot and suggests that the wonder of life and the resources of imagination supply all the adventure you need. Like, so perfectly encapsulates the entire idea of the movie and um, the escapist, realistic quality of a child, um, you know, of your imagination. And that, you know, is personally what I take away from this movie and that I really connect to and love and makes me excited to return to it. Um, so I'll ask you guys if you, you know, we've talked so much about it to bring it all home, to sum it up, you know, why would you say you love this movie and how does it add to your love of movies? Uh, Rihanna, I'll start with you. Oh man, you pretty much (laughs) summed it all up. Um, I I think maybe diverting a bit, but also just the animation, this movie really just shows me what I love about animated films, just beautiful, beautiful paintings, like Frank said, and um it had to have been cell animation mm, right yeah, yeah definitely mm-hmm. um and just using the medium of animation for children's films in a, the kind of way that um miyazaki does like like a storybook brought to life on the yeah. screen mm-hmm. um and i just I love it i love animation and yeah I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty speechless after um yeah again you you summed it up so perfectly. Oh like you sorry said, to with, take the spotlight. With, <laughs> no, don't apologize. It was great. With with movies being like your own little field to have your imagination mm-hmm. and it, you're free to feel however during a movie because a movie isn't going to judge you much like yeah. Toro doesn't judge the girls. Um <laughs> Yeah, and, and I guess that's that's what I would say this movie makes me think about how and why I love movies is, you know, you can feel however you want about a movie and um, typically it's not going to be wrong. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it will <laughs> if, if you're telling it to certain people. I've definitely heard... If it's, if it's based in wrong information. I, I've heard some yes, people's thoughts and just thought you're wrong. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. for the most part, a movie gives to you the freedom to just take, you know, what you need from the characters and the story and connect in the ways that you're going to connect. It's not wrong to connect this movie to your own experiences as a child. And it, mm-hmm. it gives you the freedom to do that. And um, using the medium of animation and the score. And like you said, Frank, the Foley, just making a beautiful sensory driven experience yeah to tap back mm-hmm. into childhood i think that's that's what this movie makes me love about movies uh to <laughs> kind of answer your question <laughs> i love I it um all right frank bring us home what do you got for <laughs> <Yeah>. us <laughs> um i think you know ultimately why i love this movie so much is just because of how many things i feel it does perfectly. I think mm-hmm. it is one of the most perfect interpretations of what it's like to be a child. I, I, you know, I didn't mention this earlier, but I think it's also a perfect representation of what it's like to be a sibling, to be an older sibling and a younger mm-hmm. sibling. It is just like a, a perfect representation of childhood wonder um, and, and 
just how large a child's imagination can be and you know and and just for other you know personal reasons you know i think this movie really set me up for just the the art that i engage with in general you know this is a movie podcast but music for me is like my bread and butter in in terms of Mm -hmm. artistic engagement and um i engage very strongly with very atmospheric atmosphere driven music and i think Mm -hmm. Totoro, not only just with the music, but just with the scenery and the tone of the whole movie really had a big role in that for me. This is, I don't know if I would consider this a very, you know, tear jerking worthy movie, but every single time I watch it, there's a, I, I, I well up a little bit. I welled up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I always well up. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier during the scenes with, the girls talking about their mom being mm-hmm. sick. Yeah. Like really yeah. sick, too sick to come home. Yeah. Um, but the part that always um, makes me, you know, get that little feeling in the back of your throat, you know, and um, it is at the very end where May runs and hugs Granny and Granny's like crying and they're walking away holding their holding hands and in, I, you know, I think it's the main theme, theme of the song um, starts playing like yeah. every time it just it just gets me. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, it it's my favorite movie of all time. It will probably remain my favorite movie of all time forever. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I love it. <laughs> oh, that's that's really beautiful. Um, thank you both so so much for this opportunity to talk about my neighbor Toto Frank thanks for coming on the show Rihanna it's always a pleasure uh, (laughs) to have you um but this was great thank you guys so much thank you thank you thank you very much for having me that does it for this episode of frankly I love movies of course thank you so much again to Rihanna and Frank for coming on the show it was a wonderful conversation I hope you guys enjoyed it too Once again, if you like the show, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. Follow all the social media accounts. Keep up with the show. And you can also keep up with me on Letterboxd at BigWalls21 for all recent movie reviews. Just another reminder, Thursday the 17th, I will have the next diary entry up all about all the movies that I watched from November 1st through the 15th. And then two weeks from now... I'll have the next standalone episode. Matt Simmons is coming back on the show to talk about one of the all-time greats. It is the Italian neorealist film, Bicycle Thieves. It was a really fun conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. So, until then, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.